Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and love. hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we exist to join god's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching so i'll be reading from uh, deuteronomy 30 15 through 20. look at what i've done for you today i've placed in front of you life in good death and evil And I command you today, love God, your God. Walk in his ways, keep his commandments, regulations, and rules so that you will live, really live, live exuberantly, blessed by God, your God, in the land you're about to enter and possess. But I warn you, if you have a change of heart, refuse to listen listen obediently and willfully go off to serve and worship other gods, you will most certainly die. You won't last long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I've placed before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your children will live and love God, your God, listening obediently to him, firmly embracing him. Oh yes, he is life itself a long life settled on the soil that God, your God, promised to give you ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The word of the Lord. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. Ooh, I feel like maybe I should qualify my competitive meal packing. I don't know. I decided to use my, use my dark side for good. And <laughs> but really, it was, I was telling Rebecca about it this morning, it was so life-giving to just have this very immediate task and to just crank that out. And it was really great to do it alongside many of you. So I hope um, the goal for us is to, to um, offer that experience once a month. Um, I know for March, I wasn't able to get us an evening time, so I know the March one will likely be less attended because it's, you know, many of us have day jobs, but um, I hope you'll join us, and yes, if you're on the line with Freya and I, and Dave Schlenk, I'm going to call out Dave, because Dave, Dave is like an organized machine, he was, yeah, anyway, it was pretty great. Josh also wanted me to say, he, he didn't say for me to say this, but even though Jerry likened it to I Love Lucy, he said, please, no, we did not eat the meals like <laughs> Lucy and Ethel did. That's one of my favorite episodes of that show. It gets so crazy. 
Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you um, again this week, ready to explore a text from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament today. So would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we gather this morning to hear the story of you at work in the world, to find ourselves within Scripture. May your spirit move throughout this place as we bring our curious questions we are hopeful for your clarity, your comfort, and your peace. Amen. Sometimes when I <laughs> sit in worship and I hear the passages that we've chosen for the week read, I often am like, oof, oof. And sometimes the four passages that we get, you're like, all right, I guess this week is all, <laughs> in, yeah, interesting. So, um, I'm going to just open up a little all play here, pretty general all play, but when you think about the text that Jim read to us, and you can look through it in your liturgy, what strikes you? Like, what rises up out of that? What, what's intriguing or maybe troublesome for you? Yeah, oof, oof was right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Holly said it's, she feels like she wouldn't last long, and then it's hard to live up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John said it felt like you were seeing um, a judgmental God where you saw the compassion, but you knew that there was like another, another shoe to drop there. And it didn't feel maybe like um, the God that he connects to. Joan said it, it, for her, it connects having just gone through testing at their school that like there are two choices, like choose this, choose life. Yeah, there's a lot within this. Um, I think anytime, at least I know when I sit with it, I think, oh God, where is there a word out of, <laughs> out of some of these things? And so we'll explore a little bit today about that binary. Um, that's kind of laid out between bless and curse, um, between the choices that we, that we engage in. But before we do, I wanted to set the stage a little bit for um, what's the story here in Deuteronomy before we get to this moment. Because it's at this end of this long and epic journey, right? It begins with this escape from slavery in Egypt and the memories of how difficult life was under Pharaoh. They, had, they were forced labor. They had backbreaking work with all the profits flowing up to those who owned other humans. Pyramids built by slaves. And God heard the cry of the Israelites and he made a way. He called Moses and Miriam and gave words of courage and inspiration. And after these plagues and threats from Pharaoh, after hope is whispered from one ear to the next, the Israelites made preparations. They had this last meal that was so hastily thrown together they didn't even have time for the bread to rise. 
And so the people escaped, and that journey, that new journey, began. And as much as they may have wanted their escape to be easy, it wasn't. With the help of God, Moses parted the waters, and their journey continued with those first courageous steps into the water. Slavery was behind them on one side, and an unknown future tinged with some hope of the promised land was on the other. So Moses and Miriam and the Israelites, they spend years wandering through the wilderness. Excitement of liberation from slavery met the reality of difficult days, hungry days where they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And finally they arrive on the cusp of the promised land and Moses says he's not gonna accompany them on this next step of the journey. And our verses today are part of this extended sermon by Moses to these people that he led through years of joy and sorrow and grumbling. It's almost 29 chapters worth of farewell instructions and storytelling, so be grateful that you get just like 18 minutes of sermonizing here. But, um, and so we're just kind of scratching the surface of that long farewell address, and we're coming in at the very end of his address to them. I mean, imagine what's going through Moses' mind as he retells the story to the Israelites, reminding them of their own story, admonishing them to hold fast to the God who made a way for them. When our friend Steve left Genesis last April, he gave me a letter containing some parting thoughts that he had for me. A few noticings he had, some suggestions for how to oversee staff, and a ton of encouragement for the road ahead. Don't tell him this, but I, I imagine Steve a little bit like Moses here. <laughs> he will laugh that I just... <laughs> but he journeyed with the Genesis community too. And now the community was moving forward on one path, and his path was diverging elsewhere. And I imagine what it will be like someday when Freya makes her own way in the world. And we pray that we've raised her to be wise and curious and kind, and that our family story will be enough to sustain her in times of uncertainty and in times of newness. So Moses had some wisdom to share, what he felt was important, this larger, overarching story, full of reminders of their shared life and God's faithfulness. And modern scholars often look at this as kind of Moses' last will and testament to the people, a final gift. He was dealing with his own mortality. He knows he's about to die. And he reminisces on the peaks and valleys of their journey together. Moses wants to tell his people once more how to live a good life. And as he's nearing the end of this farewell sermon, he gets straight to the point, and you can sense some urgency. He pleads with them to choose to walk in the way of God, to remember their covenant with God. He implores them to choose the path of life. I love these words by Reverend Carolyn Sharp to describe what happens in the movement of Deuteronomy. In the wilderness beyond the Jordan, the Israelites listen as their prophetic leader, Moses, describes the kind of people they've come, become. A people formed in the crucible of the covenant. A people who are unmade, made and unmade by the grace and ferocity of their God. And under the banner of Yahweh, Moses had brought them out of slavery in Egypt, guided them through the perils of the wilderness, 
and they had been brought to the towering possibility of Sinai. And they assented that theirs would be a life filled with obedience, a faith practiced and witnessed through their adherence to the law. For them, abandoning covenant would mean calamity and affliction. Heeding the voice of God would bring abundance. And Moses knows there have been times when the Israelites have gotten antsy and they've chosen this path away from God. You know he has got to be remembering that time he went up to the mountain to talk to God and while he's there, they decide to make a golden calf because it was going to be easier to carry with them as they traveled. And Moses comes back and he's like, I haven't been gone that long, have I? And he smashes the calf, throws down the tablets that have God's message on them, And then because he broke those in anger, he's got to go back up the mountain to get the tablets again. And there's got to be this this moment of worry, I imagine, for Moses, that once he's gone, things might go sideways again like that. And this is Moses' moment, so he uses this really stark dichotomy because I get a sense that he, he senses the time for nuance has passed. Dr. Terry Fretheim, who is one of my favorite seminary profs, had said this, this is a word from God to God's chosen people. And when they're called by God to choose life in verse 19, this is a word given to them from within their relationship with God, not as a means for them to become the people of God. It's a message indicating the nature of their future together within an already established relationship, and that that future would be established by their responsiveness to God and God's word. Because what they do and say within that relationship will shape the future ahead of them. Fredheim goes on to say that Moses speaks these words in order that the people might live well and live long in the land that God has promised them. He's looking for their best life possible. And the people's obedience to the commands that God has given It contributes to a life more filled with blessing. Two possible futures are laid out in this text, life and death. Moses' message uses these two triads to form the structure of verses 16 and 20. In this lovely repetition, pairing words together in such a way that we can understand more clearly how the Deuteronomist, or the writers of the book, convey the essential ways to choose life. So the first, out of 16, is to love God. And it harkens back to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, with the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The second in this um, triad structure is to walk in God's ways and listen to the voice of God. And the third is to keep God's commandments and cling to God. For Moses, this is the way to life, not death. So Moses urges them to choose between life and death, and there's this binary, right, that we, that we mentioned. The binary is life equals blessings, death equals curse, and that's a very common theme throughout, old, throughout the Old Testament. But misfortune is not necessarily related to God's judgment. Neither is every material blessing a byproduct of faithfulness to God's covenant. While much of the Old Testament focuses on the theme of goodness equaling blessing and bad or evil equal cursing, 
If you look at the Psalms, if you look at the book of Job and you look at Lamentations, you see people begin to question and challenge that basic principle that we see in this text. Yes, doing good, working hard, and focusing on God can lead to life-giving things, but that's not always the case. Bad things happen to good people all of the time, and vice versa. The poor do not deserve to be poor. Infertile couples have done nothing to deserve the hardships of reproductive loss. Cells mutate and people get cancer. Moses uses a very poetic binary to be sure, but we know that that's not how life works. And so instead of this binary thinking where everything is reduced to causality, if you're good, you're blessed, if you're bad, you're cursed, perhaps we might be better served to think of this examining it in another way. Perhaps choosing life is not simply about receiving something for our own good, like a blessing, or our punishment, like a curse. Perhaps when we choose life, we are making decisions that move us towards that which makes life more possible for ourselves, for others, for the larger community as a whole. And when we choose to shift our focus and our being away from God, and when we make choices that center our self-interest, we create environments where life cannot flourish in the same way, where death is taking place. Because God desires for the community to be blessed. God desires life. God desires flourishing. God desires wholeness for all of us. And when we choose life, that means blessing for the entire community, not just some of us. It means a home not only for God's people, but for the unhoused as well. Choosing life means an equitable distribution of resources and economic policies that leave enough for everyone. Choosing the way of life brings joy and wholeness for ourselves and others. And choosing the way of death puts ourselves and our wider communities and our world at risk. We face thousands of decisions every day. There was like a number online this week that was saying that we may be make around 35,000 decisions a day, like known and like conscious and unconscious. And I was like, that number feels insane. So I do not think that that is fully accurate. And yet, as I started to think through how many decisions am I making in a day and started to be mindful of that, not like the big choices, like what am I doing with my life, but all of the little ones even. What time am I leaving? What am I wearing? What am I eating today? All of these pieces... We have tiny and substantial decisions every day, and they are not always so cut or dry, are they? Some decisions are a no-brainer, and other times we're in situations where nothing feels like a good option, or we aren't quite sure how it's going to turn out. It's not as if we're in that scene from Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade where Indy's meant to choose the cup of Christ. Choosing the correct cup means he's going to pass the test, and the other cups bring about certain death. Spoiler alert, Indiana Jones chooses correctly the cup of the carpenter. But in the absence of, of that kind of clarity, that cut and dried decision-making, perhaps all we can do is discern that which feels closer to the heart of God. 
Which decision feels most in line with our God-given intuition? Which decisions are most closely aligned with seeking the goodness of all of us? So in the face of uncertainty, we keep moving forward, attempting to choose life in the best way we can, trusting that we follow a God who forgives us for the things we've done and for the things we've left undone. And that we follow a God who celebrates life with us as we cultivate environments for joy and sacredness. It could be very easy on first blush to read these verses and think Moses is indicating this one-time choosing of life. But walking in God's ways is an active condition. Walking and movement, that's an active condition, and it encompasses the whole of what we are and who we are. Choosing life means living in a messy and difficult and holy relationship with God. The Israelites often strayed from the covenant only to find that God was willing to embrace them again. It's in that striving. It's in that choosing to be part of relationship with God which yields life, not a level of perfection in order to get something back. For Moses, throughout the book of Deuteronomy, choosing love and prosperity meant to love God with heart, soul, and mind. And he described what that looked like more in saying that choosing life included canceling the debts of the poor in chapter 15, pushing the government to guard against excessive wealth in chapter 16, limiting punishment to, pr- to protect human dignity in chapter 19, offering hospitality in chapter 23, paying employees fairly in chapter 24, and leaving part of the harvest for those who need it, also in chapter 24. So the Israelites are going to renew their covenant after they enter the promised land. There are reminders of their choice to follow God. And in doing so, they are rechoosing, recommitting, reorienting themselves, returning to their God. Worship like this time together can serve a similar purpose in today's journey of faith. As we kind of maybe realign or reorient ourselves to relationship with God, where we can connect with telling the story in our midst again and again of the God who draws near to us, of the God who loves us, the God who calls us beloved. And the beauty of this portion of scripture is that it weaves together past and present, formative communal memory and the urgency of our present decision and future action. What might it mean for us to hold fast to God? Where are those places where we are choosing life, where we're seeking communal flourishing? Where are the places where we're trying to orient ourselves to God's embrace? I came across this beautiful list by Reverend Brett Younger of ways we can choose life, seeking both our own flourishing and that of one another. He suggests we can enjoy simple things. We can play with children and laugh often. We can cry when we need to cry. We can be patient with our own imperfections. Get dinner with friends. Read a book of poetry. Quit doing something that is just not worth your time. Do something so someone else doesn't have to. 
Give money to an organization doing good work in the world. Apologize to someone first. Forgive someone first. Have patience and stop having patience when it's time to tell the truth. Figure out what you hope for and live with that hope. Worship with all your heart. Pray genuinely, love your church, or leave your church if it's causing you harm. Remember that God loves you. Remember the stories of Jesus. Share God's love with somebody who may have forgotten what that feels like. Delight in God's good gifts. See that you lean towards that which is sacred. Open our hearts to the Spirit's leading. Search for something deeper and better than your own comfort. Live in the joy beneath it all and allow God to give you peace. This week, in the midst of a thousand choices, thousands and thousands of choices, may we choose life. Complicated, messy, hope-filled, God-breathed life. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.